0: So let's talk about living soil. Um cuz most people don't think of soil as soil. They think of it as dirt. Um and it's kind of yucky and da, da 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 it's got all kinds of problems. But um soil, living soil is absolutely amazing so what makes soil living that's the big that's the question that students in my class usually ask in the organic gardening class well what makes you say that's alive and what makes me say that is that when soil is alive in one teaspoon of living soil there will be i forget how many millions of microorganisms living in have one teaspoon of soil. And those living creatures, uh, they excrete and they die and their bodies become this goo, okay? so um, So now you've got these living creatures. What are they actually living among? And the answer to that is they're living in sand, They're living among minerals. They're living among clay, which is loaded with minerals. They're living among silt. And and so what happens when you have living soil is that the particles of sand and silt and minerals and et cetera, et cetera, um, end up with all these millions of microorganisms living in them. And when the microorganisms die, which I just said, they excrete and they die and they become this gooey, sticky mess, the result is that that becomes a glue that holds together particles that are made of minerals and sand and silt. And so you end up with these little particles glued together by this gunk, and, and the result is that the structure of the soil becomes kind of like marbles in a jar or this picture, you know, uh, soil with good crumb structure. You end up with a whole bunch of crumbs, <laughs> okay? You end up with all these crumbs that are held together by this glue, and the crumbs don't fit together very well. And so there's all these spaces in between these crumbs. Those spaces are meant to be for water to move through and to sink deeply into the earth and for roots to move through. So you have a plant and the plant has these roots it puts out. And most people just think roots are just there. (laughs) <laughs> to hold the plant upright um, and that's not I mean the plants do that but that's not their main function so you get this tap root that goes down and kind of stabilizes the plant and it's got all these little arms these roots that go out and they go out in search of guess what minerals because every single body whether it's a plant or an animal or a human uses minerals to build itself with so you end up with these roots going out and then from the roots they put all these little fine root hairs out the root hairs go in search of frequencies of specific minerals and when they find that frequency they curl around the crumb that has that frequency or that mineral in it and then they put out an acid and the acid dissolves the, um, the crumb, and the crumb falls apart, and all that's left is the mineral. And then the rootlet, which is putting out this acid, dissolves that mineral and sucks it up and carries it up the stem to build the plant. And to build the leaves, the, the flowers, the fruit of whatever that plant is. Uh-huh. So when you said that it, it senses the frequency of the mineral, so what does it do? It doesn't smell it. So how does it sense a frequency? So if you could just, just can you elaborate on that? Or <laughs> Okay. So, um, so plants are intelligent. Okay. So what does intelligence really mean? It means that it's going to react or respond to other forms of life. All of the forms of life are really interacting frequencies. And so some scientists would say, no, there's no real intelligence here. There's just these mechanical reactions. But that's not the case. If that were the case, you would have plants that wouldn't know the difference between iron and calcium or between potassium and, and whatever. So, um, so you have this plant, the plant, and we're getting, we'll get into some really complex stuff here, but I'll try to simplify it a little bit. So the plant is composed of a set of frequencies, okay? Okay. And, the, and it knows what it needs by, how do I say this? So if it's got one set of frequencies, it's going to be compatible with some other frequencies, and it's going to be incompatible with others. And if you, if you are a plant and you know that you need this, this, and that in order to build yourself, then you're going to go in search of those. And how do you recognize those? You recognize those minerals by their frequency. And how do you recognize that frequency? Is because it's compatible and it triggers a certain positive reaction in the plant. When we meet a friend, when humans meet a friend, we have a reaction in our gut that says, Oh, hi, how are you? <laughs> you know, what's new, etc., cetera, et cetera. We have a good feeling. It's the same thing in a plant. When they recognize calcium as opposed to potassium, that, there's this all-body response. And that all-body response is akin to what, what most people would call pleasure, but what but what I like to think of it as is it's life affirming. Potassium is definitely second choice. I mean, plants need potassium, but you can't substitute potassium for calcium in a plant without some pretty serious effects in whatever the fruit is. Um, the same thing for an animal. You can't feed an animal potassium laden grain. Um, without some serious effects in the meat, um, et cetera, and in the function. So anyway, the plant recognizes through this whole plant, whole body response, ah, I found some calcium. Yes. And it it, it then emits this liquid, this fluid, and the fluid is the acid that sucks up the, or that dissolves the goo that's holding the crumb together, and releases the silt and releases the sand, and um, and sucks up the mineral and then transports that mineral using its frequencies. And you kind of have to know how how those work. Um, I have some drawings, but they're in Arkansas. <laughs> um, so the one that shows the the tube in which has all the negative charges and then yeah. around the edge and then there's a yeah. charge in the middle. That's how the plant transports things up their stem. So there's this spiraling motion up the stem and it's all done with charges, ionization. It's, it, the ions are absolutely critical. An ion means, to say this is an ion means it has either a positive or a negative charge. So it's either an anion or a cation. Uh, A cation, you know, well, let me not get into too much of that. But the um, so what happens when you when you have living soil is that you maintain and you work to maintain this living field of billions of microorganisms. And let me just say what some of those Microorganisms are it says dead dirt, dead dirt is a combination of particles of sand, silt, clay, minerals, dusts, and miscellaneous forms of carbon based material, such as bits and of leaves and twigs and such. Uh, living soil is a combination of all of the above, plus the bodies of billions of living and highly active fungi, bacteria, microorganisms with names like actinomycetes, streptococcus, staphylococcus, protozoa, nematodes, flatworms, earthworms, mites, beetles, snails, slugs, and centipedes. Together, these microorganisms and elements constitute what is known as healthy living soil. So all of those things living in the soil, excreting, they break down carbon based materials, um, all of that, they, they leave their wastes, they leave their bodies, they don't have a very long life cycle. Um, so they make up this, they are the ones who create this crumb structure that is critical in the soil, absolutely critical. So when it rains and the rain falls down on ground that is living, it sinks in deeply. And I forget how many tons of water will be held in a 200 by 200, you know, plot of land, acre of land. An acre is actually 208 feet by 208 feet. But um, so... So I think you know the so what happens to make living soil dead? What makes it dead soil? When you start spraying your fields with fungicides, with herbicides, with all sorts of you know poisonous things and heavy metals, those poisonous things have heavy metals in them. The heavy metals keep the the poisons which are highly volatile from dissipating Um, they keep that poison stable long enough to get it on the field but when you spray that stuff on the field yeah boy the first year you're going to kill off half of your living creatures in the soil all those actinomycetes fungi nematodes worms um, microorganisms bacteria all of that dies So you spray it the second year, the rest of them die. You spray the third year, and now you have no microorganisms holding your soil in a crumb structure, and it dies. The crumb structures collapse, and now you have hard-packed soil. It's called hard pan, and it is hard. Oh, my. I cannot. You you need a pickaxe to get through it. Um, And I've tried digging in hard pan and hard pan usually forms about eight inches, maybe 10 inches down, maybe six um, under the surface. And and so when it rains, that first eight inches doesn't hold very much soil or very much water and it ends up overwhelming the soil the soil runs off carrying all the topsoil with it so and you have flooding because that water is supposed to sink in four feet some plant roots go down 20 to 25 uh, even 30 feet trees go down much trees are really but clover clover goes down 20 feet so um, so what, what you have with living soil are all of these bacteria and, and microorganisms that excrete that end up forming this crumb structure that allows the water to move through. The second thing it does is it forms all these little tunnels <laughs> and the plant just moves its roots right through those tunnels, it's searching for minerals and whatever else it needs. If you, if the soil collapses, the root structure of a plant ends up mining instead of growing out. In other words, it has to dig its way through all of that hard pan, looking for what it needs. If it can't get below the hard pan, then as soon as you have a dry period, those roots are going to be limited to that top layer of soil plant collapses overwhelmed by heat overwhelmed by an inability to get water because there's no water between that eight inch hard pan and the surface plants should have roots that go down two three feet easily and and those are just your ordinary garden plants so you have a dead soil which then now the second part of of living soil is that the plant has this electromagnetic field around it, which is a field of frequencies. And then you have bugs. Now you have bugs, you know, insects. um, They fly around. So those are pictures. The top row are the antennas that we put on our technology. The bottom row are the antennas that you find on insects. So, um, so what is an insect's antenna doing? It is flying around. It is searching for plants who have an electromagnetic signature that is out of tune, or in other words, not healthy. The plant doesn't have a full complement of minerals it hasn't been able to get what it needs. It's either spent all of its time and energy trying to dig through hard pan to get to what it needs, or it's been too dry and it hasn't been able to build out. Or if it's been a wet year and you have a hard pan, the plant will be very, very watery and subject to mildew. In other words, the plant sucks up too much water. And now you have another kind of problem. So the insects who are nature's garbage collectors fly around and they are tuning their antenna for who's got bad signals, which plants have bad signals and they will, they fly around and they keep zeroing in until they land or they find the plant that has the um, signature that is out of tune and their job is to clean up living forms that are not healthy that do not produce correctly and that do not preserve the epitome of life and food and nutrition so they kill that plant they strip it they eat it and we get nothing from it so let's go back to we have this living soil we spray it the next year we spray it again by then it's dead the third year, the plants that are in that field have to be sprayed with pesticides, have to be sprayed with fungicides because now they're so unhealthy. They can't get what they need from the soil because the soil is dead. And and dead means that they are locked out. So their fruit which whether it's a grain or a vegetable or an actual fruit, the fruit is not able to be healthy and it won't last and it won't be sweet. And so they spray they, those fields with pesticides and herbicides and fungicides. Um, and they say, oh, it's good enough. It's good enough. And then we get wheat that is underweight and in a bushel of wheat, It's like two or three pounds is the difference between healthy wheat and wheat that is useless. Wheat that will trigger all sorts of problems in the gut, all kinds of allergies. So you have plants and you have fruit that is, it barely makes it to the grocery store and you buy it and you rush it home and you eat it. And there's really not much nutrition in it. Because if it was full nutrition and had been allowed to come to its full, um, what we call sugar bricks, B-R-I-X, then the plant or the fruit does not rot, which is why in the old days we didn't have refrigerators because we didn't need refrigerators. Plants that, you know, people took great care to renew their soil regularly. And a farm was an ecosystem of living soil that was kept alive by plants and constant um, invitation to bugs that were beneficial. Beneficial bugs are absolutely essential in farming. And the whole system kept itself healthy and in balance. Now we don't have any of that. And so we not only have dead soils, we have dead fruits and vegetables they're dead before they ever get to the stove and the living enzymes that should be that we should be taking in don't don't have that doesn't happen so yeah, unfortunately that's our agricultural system in a nutshell right now does it need to be changed absolutely and we're approaching a critical point and i think the you know the COVID 19 thing that we're dealing with right now is a beautiful symbol of the degeneration of our agriculture and our entire system, nat- natural system, and our human health. The good note from my point of view is, I and I've said it, I'm really excited about the potentials of our future. I think we have to allow ourselves to get excited. Even if we witness some of the mess that's going on out there, we'll be messy in a few places. Um, the, there's a lot of stories that are happening. Um, we don't know if they're true or not. We just, we're not there. We don't know. Um, And so at some point, um, while some people are taking care of that stuff, we have to be over here saying, okay, you know, where do we go from here? How do we nurture one another into the future? I think we have to talk about what a new world might look like, what it might sound like, how it might operate. Um, We might talk about the chronicles of the future and how those ideas um that have been implemented far in the future could be accelerated a little bit uh things like that like i said i'm very excited (laughs) so everybody else is talking even my son is like mom can't you see it's coming can't you feel it's coming and i'm like yeah it is i'm really excited and he's like mom what's wrong with you you old hippie you and i'm like look Um, Yes, I see the problems. Yes, I know there's issues out there. But um, out of that chaos comes people who who get it. Uh, does, Does that make sense? People who understand that there has to be something different. There has to be a new world. Has to be so let me encourage you to get back in touch with mother nature and at least try growing something i don't care if it's a pot of tomatoes or a pot of peppers or a few radishes just watch the process and learn from that and discover what it's like to get the cucumber or a green bean that lasts for weeks and tastes amazing. <laughs> There's no comparison um, to what, you know, I, I don't want to make the grocery stores out to be bad places to get food because it's the only place to get food for a lot of people. But you get grow something. There are growing walls that you can buy for $500. That's a lot for some people. But there are... Uh, what do you call those systems that you, where you can grow microgreens? Oh my God. The nutrition in microgreens is like 800 times greater than in lettuce from the grocery store. Um Go out in the countryside and, and talk with farmers who are growing things or find um, country vegetable stands where farmers bring their stuff because they have too much and they're trying to get rid of it. Um, I I just, I can't emphasize that. Get something going on your countertop. Put it in the sun. You're going to learn about how much light plants need in order to thrive. They need a lot. They need a lot. Windows filter out most of what the sun offers to a plant and so things don't grow well inside unless they have the full set of frequencies that the sun offers which means you need a grow light and so you'll learn so much and it's it's absolutely wonderful it's inspiring even just grow some herbs and start using those herbs in your food discover what real taste is People often say to me, oh, my God, this is good. You know, what did you do? And it's just herbs added to ordinary things. So um, even my bread, I make bread with four or five different herbs, an herbal tea. Um, It's phenomenal. So... again, again um, if you're if you're not interested in growing something learn to cook something if you're not interested in cooking or growing something learn to to make an oven an outdoor oven that you can bake in and that doesn't disintegrate in the rain um, things like that so have some fun this year with getting back in touch with nature and if it ends up blowing up in your face and not literally i mean it just you don't get a crop you can't eat your radish or you your bean plant collapses one day and you come in and discover that it's it's falling down and it's not growing anymore um don't don't cry and don't say oh this is impossible just ask yourself hmm, what happened there what was missing so, or, or what was there too much of? So start to learn. It's, it's, it's so rewarding. I cannot emphasize that enough.